a bubbling bed of life of which you are a part. Once you were a man, a chemist named Ted Salas, but the syrup that was to have made you a super soldier combined with strange forces in the swamp to make you over into the man thing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast, your twice-monthly dive into the bizarre, the strange, and the just-plain-weird of obscure, swamp-based 70s monster comics. Or at least it will be. See, I've decided to do an episode zero. Uh, Zero episode is typically done to introduce the program, the host, its themes, etc., before getting into a real episode. In other words, it's a backstory. It's the prelude, the opening scroll, the narration before the movie starts. I know opinions vary on whether or not these episode zeros have any value, but I figure I'm new enough to the podcasting world that it behooves me to do a little introduction. And so, I will be introducing myself, the reason I want to do this thing you're listening to, and to give a little background on the character I'll be covering. First of all, me. I'm Paul Matthew Carr. I'm a writer and an artist. I live in Colorado. I have a wife and a daughter and five dogs. I mention the dogs because... Depending on my editing skills, you may hear one or more of them from time to time. Now, I have been a comic book fan for pretty much my entire life. There was this time in the 80s when I was in high school, and I had this notion that I wanted people to think I was cool, so I stopped reading comic books. But later in college, I started again because, well, well, two things. One, I realized I'm not very cool, and I wasn't fooling anybody. And two, comics are great, and I miss them. Now, I grew up in the 70s. I'll pause for a moment and let you do the math. Yep, I'm old. So, I read a lot of Bronze Age comics. Mostly Marvel, because that's what appealed to me. Uh, As an aside, I don't ever want to get into the whole which is better, Marvel or DC, because that's stupid. They're both good for different reasons, and you can like one without hating the other, so that's all I want to say about that. I just personally prefer Marvel. Now, I grew up in Philadelphia. I didn't have a comic book shop to go to. I just picked up comics from newsstands or at my neighborhood Wawa. A Wawa, for those of you not from the East Coast, is a convenience store, kind of like a 7-Eleven, but with a silly name. But the selection was always sporadic. You could never really tell what you were going to get. The best-selling titles, like my core books, were always there. Spider-Man, Captain America, Fantastic Four, they were always available, but the sort of minor, smaller titles were really hit or miss. And I had this love of horror, classic horror, and because of that I would pick up horror-related comics whenever I could. Things like Ghost Rider, Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, Doctor Strange, anything mystical or macabre. And then one day, there was a book on the rack called Man-Thing, with a big gooey-looking monster on the cover with little elephant trunks hanging off his face. I bought it immediately. I wish I could tell you which issue it was. I've racked my brain. I just can't remember. And I know this would be a better story if I could remember, but I do remember loving it. I remember wanting more. One thing I do remember distinctly was finding a Power Records adaptation of a Man-Thing story called Night of the Laughing Dead, a book and record set. It was about a suicidal clown that Man-Thing finds in a swamp. The clown eventually kills himself and becomes a manic ghost. And I should point out that this was specifically made for kids. Uh, I'll talk in greater detail about this when I eventually get to that issue, but I would listen to that 45 over and over again on my little plastic 45 player, and it scared the crap out of me. And the character became one of my all-time favorites. So all of that is to say that this is where I'll be coming from. 
All of my memories as a child, the nostalgia it conjures up, coupled with the critical eye of me as an adult. These stories are more than 40 years old, and nostalgia doesn't always hold up. I do enjoy Bronze Age comics in general. I love the goofy, silly weirdness of them. And believe me, it doesn't get much weirder than Man-Thing. But I also realize that things have changed. Storytelling has changed. Sensibilities have changed. And those old comics can seem not only dated, but, well, let's say insensitive. So from time to time, it may be difficult for me to reconcile my modern ideas with my idealized memory. But that's the reason for doing this. And I do want to emphasize that I'll be coming at this project from a fan's perspective, from a reader's perspective. I'm not a professional comic critic. I'm just a guy who loves the genre, loves the form, and this character in particular. So I'll probably get things wrong occasionally. But I am a writer and I am an artist, so I do have a background in the skills it takes to create a comic, and hopefully I'll have some insight as well. So now, let's talk about Man-Thing. First of all, we'll talk about the name. For someone like myself whose sense of humor has all the sophistication and subtlety of an eight-year-old, I find it hard not to burst out into laughter constantly when I say Man-Thing. <laughs> For instance, I just said finding it hard in relation to Man-Thing. <laughs> I guess you see what I mean. I mean, one of the books that he's in is actually called Giant Size Man-Thing. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be tough. But I will endeavor to remain mature and professional. No guarantees, however. I may find it hard. <laughs> so, anyway, enough of that. In the late 60s and early 70s, the comic book code was easing off. It was still incredibly strict, mind you, but it did allow for a limited use of mature subjects, including horror. And horror comics began to multiply. And this is where Man-Thing came about. Uh, the Man-Thing is a biochemist named Ted Salas, who, while working on a super soldier serum, similar to the ones uh, Captain America was injected with, he is attacked by sinister forces, and in a desperate attempt to protect the serum, he injects it into his own system. You know, like you do. He is then pursued into a swamp and ends up drowning but was later revived by a combination of his formula and the supernatural. You see, the swamp he was in just so happens to be the central convergence of all mystical forces, the nexus of all realities. Roll credits. Now, Man-Thing is unique in the fact that he is just a straight monster. He doesn't change back and forth like Banner into the Hulk, but rather remains in his monstrous form constantly. He is only semi-intelligent, uh, sort of like a grotesque child. Uh, he can, however, feel others' feelings. He's empathic, and this allows him a form of communication. And he is enraged by fear and secretes a poison that burns the flesh. Hence the series tagline, Whatever knows fear burns at the touch of the man-thing. And if you have a burning man-thing, you should really get that looked at. Just saying. <laughs> So, uh, the creators are listed as Stanley, Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, and artist Gary Marrow. Although there are differing stories as to the level of influence each man had, it seems to me to have been a genuine collaborative effort. And in the beginning, he was used mostly 
as Monster of the Week stories, and some attempt rather clumsily was made to incorporate him into the greater Marvel Universe. But it isn't until Steve Gerber comes on as writer that Man-Thing becomes something different, something somewhat experimental. Gerber is a different kind of writer, and we'll talk much more about him as the program progresses, but suffice to say he was eccentric, and his ideas and style were off the wall. By all accounts, he didn't want to do this book. He thought it would be boring. And so Gerber decided to shift the character into more of a watcher type, a guardian, a conduit through which other stories could be told. He wrote stories touching on politics and race, drugs and sexuality, and many other subjects, all revolving around a giant squishy swamp creature used as a supernatural focal point. It is gloriously weird. And I'll admit, as a kid reading this, I didn't get most of what was going on. Most references just went right past me. But what I did get, I loved. And I hope you will love it too. Now, I want to keep this episode kind of short since I'm not actually covering anything in any detail. But there are a couple of things I want to touch on before I finish up. One being what got me thinking about this character again after so many years. And that's that there have been several references and Easter eggs in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which have been subtle and somewhat overt. For instance, in Iron Man 3, we see the character of Ellen Brandt. Ellen Brandt in the comics is the girlfriend of Ted Salas who betrays him and eventually leads to his transformation into the Man-Thing. And as Man-Thing, he touches her face and uh, burns her, leaving a scar. In the movie... She's much different, of course. Man-Thing and Ted Salas are never mentioned. But she does have a hint of a burn scar on her face, and that may or may not be a reference to this, but it's not elaborated on. Also in the movie, we see plant regeneration experiments, which is what Ted Salas is working on, and it's the basis of his serum. But again, this is left vague. In Thor The Dark World, when we see Eric Selvig giving his talk in the mental hospital, on the blackboard behind him, you can see... Nexus of All Realities written on it. And most obvious of all is in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maria Hill says while giving testimony in front of Congress that she is asked, who or what is a Man-Thing? So this got me wondering if we were actually going to see Man-Thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or at least on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is admittedly the bottom rung of the MCU ladder, but still cool, right? I would love to see a live-action version of Man-Thing. Now, yes, there was that movie several years ago, but we don't speak of it. And of course, I cannot do this introduction without mentioning the other thing in the room, the Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing is the DC equivalent to Man-Thing. I remember thinking as a kid, since I was a fan of Man-Thing, obviously Swamp Thing was a complete and utter ripoff. I didn't have uh, nuanced opinions as a child. But is it true? Was Swamp Thing just a ripoff of Man-Thing or vice versa? The characters were introduced just a couple months apart. Man-Thing's first appearance was in May of 1971, and Swamp Thing's first appearance was in June of that same year. All right then. Man-Thing beat Swamp Thing by a month. Done and done. DC stole from Marvel. End of story. But not so fast. See, typically it takes three to four months to create a comic book start to finish. The one-month turnaround for DC to see the publication, decide to create a knockoff, write it, draw it, publish it, that's just not feasible. So basically, both storylines had to be in production at the same time. That means two separate writer-artist teams had the exact same idea at the exact same time, which is pretty amazing, right? Or is it? It's actually not that uncommon for 
synchronistic stories to occur. An example I can think of is Battle Royal, a Japanese film about a dystopian society that chooses children to fight to the death on television, and The Hunger Games, which is the same thing. Both claim no knowledge of the other, they just sort of happened at the same time. In a similar situation, as a non-writerly example, would be the creation of calculus. Both Newton and Leibniz created a similar mathematical system at the same time, completely unknown to one another. So perhaps there is a societal collective unconscious, where certain ideas just float around in the mental ether and are picked up and distributed in a cultural ideascape. Or perhaps there are subjects and concepts that are just sort of around, talked about in popular culture, thought about enough, discussed enough, that multiple people would each have an individual take on that particular idea. What I'm saying is, it's possible it's just a coincidence. Especially when you consider the way the characters are presented. It's quite different. Think, for example, about Moby Dick and Jaws. Both are about obsessive captains relentlessly chasing a huge, dangerous sea creature. On the surface, the premise may seem similar, but in execution, they are quite different, as is Swamp Thing and Man Thing. Bottom line, until presented with concrete evidence to the contrary, I will assume stuff happens, and there was no nefarious scheme for one company to steal from the other. Now I await the internet to tell me I'm wrong. And finally, I would like to acknowledge two guys who inspired me to do this podcast, Stephen Lacey and Andrew Leyland. They do a podcast about the Fantastic Four called The Fantastic Cast. Now, I don't know them personally. I just listen to their show. And on that show, they don't just critique the individual issues. They appreciate those issues. There's an obvious love for the subject and for the form that comes across. Even the stories they don't like, there is still a profound joy in getting to read and talk about comic books and characters they enjoy. Listening to their show has given me the inspiration to want to talk about and share a book and a character I enjoy. So, thank you to the fantastic casters, Stephen and Andrew. I appreciate what you do, and I'm grateful to you for giving me the confidence to do this program. As an extra added bonus, I'm going to play a promo of their show, and it goes a little something like this. The Fantastic Arse is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that taste forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2 in 1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Okay, so thank you everyone for listening to this Zero episode. Uh, This is roughly half the length of what I intend an episode to be, so just a short man thing this week. No judging, of course. Normally I'll be doing this every two weeks, but since this episode was a little light on content, I'm going to do uh, a one-week turnaround and actually talk about an issue. More on that in a moment, but first, 
let me give you some information on how to contact the show. You have been listening to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. Nexus of All Realities is a Daddy Elf production. Man-Thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel Comics, and no infringement is intended. All material used on this podcast are for illustrative purposes only, and copyright goes to the respective copyright holders. You may email the show at nexus at daddyelk.com or follow us on Twitter at Nexus of All. You can also visit us online at nexusofallrealities.com or daddyelk.com slash nexus. This program is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? So thanks again, everyone who's listened. I do appreciate that you took the time to hear me ramble for a while. And I'd really like to hear your feedback. I'd like to know what I'm doing right. I'd like to know what I'm doing wrong. I want this to be as entertaining as possible, so your thoughts, good or bad, would be appreciated. There will be a dedicated page on the website, nexusofallrealities.com, to leave comments. Or you can email me at nexus at daddyelk.com. I really would like to hear uh, your thoughts on this, not only this episode, but uh, on upcoming episodes and you know, anything I'm getting wrong, please let me know. So uh, I hope to see you again next week when we'll be talking about Savage Tales number one, the origin of Man-Thing. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>